Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the StoryQ podcast. This is episode number five. I am your host, Frank Erickson, and really looking forward to today's show. We have a great, great guest for you. Andy Groneman is from the great state of Texas, and he is a barbecue competitor, a barbecue chef, and a barbecue instructor. His team is called Smoke on Wheels, and they are at smokeonwheels.com, and Andy is just so passionate about his craft of cooking barbecue and teaching others barbecue that I think you're really going to enjoy what he has to say. And I think you can just feel from his enthusiasm and just the sound of his voice how into this thing that we love and call barbecue he is. Not only is he involved with it, but his whole family goes with him on every barbecue contest. It's Andy and his wife. He has two little girls, and they travel all over the, the Midwest, uh, the West Coast. They've been up and spent weeks in New York competing uh, in New York in barbecue competitions and won the Empire State Grand Championship. And he's just a, a great guy. And when he's not actually out on the competition circuit, he's doing barbecue classes. Now, he does those through the barbecue website, All Things Barbecue, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal barbecue website. Uh, they are based out of Wichita, and the address is atbbq.com. If you're going to order some barbecue products, that's one of the places uh, that I highly recommend to go. They've got some great prices and just seemingly an endless supply of anything you could want related to barbecue, whether it's rubs, sauces, gear, you name it, check it out. I think you'll really like it. Anyhow, Andy gives classes through them. They have a Wait till you see their kitchen. They have a complete standalone building that they use just for teaching barbecue classes. There are video cameras and, and video screens all over the place. So even if you're in the back, you can see what's going on. It's really something else. But Andy, you'll be talking to us all about that. Meanwhile, I want to talk about something that is a little bit controversial out there. Some people refer to it as the Texas crutch. You might refer to it as foiling your barbecue, which means once your barbecue reaches a certain temperature, let's say you're cooking a brisket or a pork butt, and it gets to around 160 degrees or so, you take it out, wrap it in some heavy-duty foil. You might add some liquid or some sweetener to it or a few other different things. Wrap it up tight, throw it back on the smoker until it reaches about 195 or 200, and take it back out. Well, now, some people refer to that, that foiling process as the Texas crutch. I don't know who came up with that, and it's not necessarily a, maybe it is a slam against Texas, but I've been to Texas, and you know what? If they're foiling, I've got to start foiling, because the, the barbecue I've had in Texas has been unbelievable, just absolutely terrific. I talked about my trip to Austin, Texas back in April a few episodes ago. You might want to check that out. Here's what goes on with the Texas Crutch. It's the process of really tenderizing your meat and sometimes speeding up the cooking time. If you leave a brisket or a pork butt on the grill, which might take 10 or 14 hours, if you wrap it and foil it about 160, you might cut a few hours off that cook without having to raise the temperature up, you know, above 350 or something like that, which really wouldn't be barbecuing. So here's how this works. Basically, if you're cooking a pork, even with ribs, you can do this. And let's talk about ribs because I think that's one of the easiest things to throw on the smoker. It doesn't take 10 or 12 hours. And you can throw a couple of racks on and, you know, you can go through that in a couple of nights. If you've got a small family, if you have a large family or some friends coming over, a few racks of ribs, they'll go quickly, especially if you make them really well. And I think the Texas Crush helps a lot. I've made them 
with, without foil. And I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of leaning a little bit on a crutch there. And if that's what it is, so be it. I'll take it. But basically, you take your ribs, you season them how you want to, you take the membrane off the back, and you get them on your smoker, and you get them going at about 225 to 275, whatever you like to cook them at. You got your charcoal or wood fire burning. And then when the ribs are starting to look, well, maybe after they've been on a couple of hours, a couple of two, three hours, you take them off and you wrap them in foil. Now, what they do on the barbecue circuit, the championship barbecue circuit, or the competition circuit, if you will, is before they put the ribs in the foil, they'll lay out two pieces, two large pieces of heavy-duty aluminum foil, not the stuff that you get at the supermarket. You need to go to someplace like Sam's Club and buy that real heavy-duty stuff. And before they put the ribs on, they'll put down some brown sugar, some honey, and some margarine. Now, I've always thought, if you're going to use margarine, why not use butter? Well, butter burns at a lower temperature, and if you put butter in this, it'll burn, and you don't want that. So margarine burns at a much higher temperature. It won't burn in your smoker. So it's brown sugar, honey, margarine, and then they'll take the ribs, and they may even put a little more rub on them. That's, that's up to the individual pitmaster. And then they lay the ribs on the foil, meat side down, over that mixture that they've laid out of honey, brown sugar, and margarine. And then, of course, they'll wrap them real tight, put them back on the smoker for another couple of hours, check them for temperature, check them for doneness, see if that bone is pulling back. And um, everybody on the competition circuit that is winning and winning consistently is foiling their ribs or using the Texas crutch. That especially comes in handy, for me anyhow, when I'm cooking a pork butt or a couple of pork butts. I've had, you know, you know, if you've cooked them before or if, if you haven't, you will notice that if you put a pork butt on, your, on your, your new smoker, let's say you're just getting into barbecue and you're cooking away at 225, 250, well, after several hours, you're going to go out there and check it and it's going to be at 160. Now, for a pork butt to be at a temperature that pulls easily and is really, really tender and just kind of falls apart, you want to get to 195, 200, even 205. However, it's going to stall out at 160. It'll just get to 160 and sit there for an hour, two hours, maybe more. Using the Texas crutch or heavy-duty aluminum foil plus whatever liquids or sweeteners you want to throw in there with the pork butt is going to help all of that collagen or muscle or whatever they call it start to break down It'll help steam the meat and tenderize it without losing any of the flavor. And when you take that back off the smoker and it's at 195 to 200 or a little bit more, and then you wrap it in a towel, throw it in a cooler and let it sit there for an hour to sit and rest. And then when you, want, and when you open it up, it's still steaming hot and that falls apart. And it is so, so wonderful. That is why people just go crazy about barbecue. And all of us here at Story Q Magazine are part of that group of crazy people who are crazy for barbecue. So you might want to give that a try. If, um, if you find that your cooks are taking a little bit long or even, you know, your, your pork butts or briskets or ribs aren't coming out as tender as you'd like them to be, <clears throat> 
Try wrapping them in foil after about two or three hours on the ribs, and once your pork butts or briskets get to about 160, take them off, wrap them in foil as well, throw them back on, give them an opportunity to come up to the proper temperature, whatever you determine that is for your likeness, and then let those guys rest for about an hour or so. And with pork butter brisket, you can let them rest for a couple of hours. It's not going to do them any harm as long as you got them in a cooler and they're wrapped up in some blankets and or in a cambro, something like that. Um, you're really going to notice a difference in the tenderness. And that's what great barbecue is all about. Killer flavor, great taste of smoke, the taste of the rub, the taste of the meat, and of course, the tenderness of the meat. The Texas Crutch, or, as we like to say on the barbecue circuit, foiling. Anyhow, check that out. Let me know uh, how things go. want to mention also, before we jump into our conversation with Andy, that the Story Q podcast is brought to you every single week by Story Q magazine. It is the only digital barbecue magazine that I know of. If there's others out there, correct me and I'll, and I'll announce that. But Story Q is a monthly digital magazine and you can subscribe by going to storyq.com and check out uh, some of the old issues and um, sign up for a subscription. And once a month, towards the end of the month, you will get your issue right in your email, download it, and it is just chock full of great articles, beautiful, beautiful pictures, <coughs> and all kinds of wonderful information that you can use to make your barbecue better, maybe gain some inspiration as to whether or not you want to take your barbecue to the next level, which might be competition, or if you want to take a class. But Story Q is just really full of everything that is great in barbecue, which is the stories, the pictures, and of course, the barbecue. Well, you can't eat it, but <laughs> I've come pretty close. Some of the pictures in there are so stunningly, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's salivating. That's what it is. It's absolutely salivating. So check it out at storyq.com. Get yourself a subscription. Let's move into our conversation right now with Andy Groneman. As I mentioned earlier, Andy Groneman is the pit master for Smoke on Wheels Competition Barbecue. He also does barbecue classes. And what's really neat about Andy is not only his love for the sport and the art of making barbecue and cooking for your friends and family, but he also teaches others how to master this, which can be sometimes a little bit tricky, skill of cooking great, succulent, delicious, magnificent, melt-in-your-mouth barbecue. And his classes, he will teach them all over the country. It's not He's not just at one place where you got to go there. He does do that. But if you've got um, a company and you want to have a team building exercise or just get a whole bunch of people from your neighborhood together, Andy will come to you. So without any further ado, let's get right into it. Here's our featured guest this week from Smoke on Wheels Competition Barbecue, Andy Groneman. Andy, good morning. How are you? Great. How's it going? Pretty good. Thanks for getting up uh, at the crack of 9.30 here in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just rolling out of bed myself. So, um, But, you know, I, I'm, I've been looking forward to talking to you for a while because I've, uh, I've been to your website and I kind of stumbled across your existence and your knowledge of barbecue and competency in barbecue 
through the store, All Things Barbecue. And that's a place where you teach classes, and I want to talk about that. But I want to talk about you and your site, Smoke on Wheels, Competition Barbecue Team. How did this all come about for you? Who introduced you to barbecue and, and more importantly, competition barbecue? And how did that all transpire? Yeah, so it's really a generational thing for me. My dad and an uncle and some of their friends uh, for, gosh, probably 35 years now have had a barbecue team. Before there was a KCBS or any of these barbecue societies out there, uh, barbecue contests were held to do things like fundraising for the local fire department when they need a concrete saw or buying uniforms for the junior college, etc. right? And uh, so so my dad and several of their buddies had a quote-unquote you know competition team, which is a little different than what it means today, but they would compete and raise money for these events and as I was getting older and, and starting to get into high school I was kind of interested in in some of that and also getting a chance to, to hang out with my dad in a venue where I wasn't the dumb kid right I got to be a little bit more uh, on a level playing field and so it was really an excuse for me to go hang out with my dad and then uh, sneak a beer here and there maybe or you know that kind of a thing um, and as they were beginning to uh, cook less i was wanting to cook more and barbecue is getting more and more pervasive in uh, competitions out there uh, kcbs was growing ibca was growing all of these uh, societies around barbecue and so it really took off from there uh, i'm an engineer by trade so I, I kind of have this maniacal sense of detail around everything that I do and I have to understand why it works and how to simplify the process and, and get the same quality product every time and, and all of those things played well into the competition side of barbecue so uh, over the years we have done well in, in the competition circuit. Uh, we've been doing it for about 22 years now. Well, you guys are veterans for sure. I actually stumbled across barbecue about 10 years ago and um, that sort of... Uh, you know, began my education, what, because I was basically, hey, you're having a barbecue, that means burgers, dogs, and brats. And, uh, you know, ribs was something you got uh, at McDonald's. I'm just kidding about that. But, uh, <laughs> McRib. Um, but, you know, I, my, my experience with barbecue, eating it or uh, creating it was was nil until about 10 years ago, and I stumbled across a very small, uh, kind of a fun competition here of my, in my hometown of Boulder, Colorado. And just walking around that and seeing all the pits and, and tasting some of the food really got me excited about it. And I ended up buying a Traeger pellet grill, and that was my first foray into cooking smoked foods. And then, of course, I had to go to a few barbecue competitions, and fortunately here... In Colorado, we have a really strong barbecue presence with uh, thanks to the Rocky Mountain Barbecue Association. And there's yeah, several contests that you probably know about and maybe have even competed in um, throughout the state and throughout the Rocky Mountain region. And it seems to be growing each year. But um, how much training do you do each year? How much practice do you do each year so that when you get out there on the competition circuit, you know, if you've taken a break for the winter and knowing that you live in Kansas and I'm right next door here in Colorado, we know what our winters are like. Uh, so how did you how do you prep up each year and get psyched up for the competition trail? So so typically any more changes are very incremental. 
It might be some new flavor we're trying to add to draw attention and make our product stick out over other people's. Uh, one of the interesting things with the barbecue and internet and, and barbecue on TV is products jump out there and now all of a sudden you see a lot of the same flavors popping up kind of everywhere. So it's really trying to do something that makes yours stick out in a good way, right? You still want it to be balanced. You don't want it to be anything that is has a bad connotation to one of the judges, right? You've got to get all of the judges happy. But it's incremental small changes to just give you a something that sticks out a little bit. So, But we cook all the time. We teach uh, classes in outdoor cooking and barbecue year-round. So I'm constantly doing recipe development, working on different methods, trying different cookers, doing all of those things so that I can help people in my classes. I, I really uh, enjoy the teaching aspect of it. So we cook all year and kind of keep everything tuned up that way. I want to talk more about uh, about competition a little bit, but I um, I'm also a certified barbecue judge, although I've only judged one event. And I just want to touch a little bit on how you prepare for a contest, knowing that you're you're there not to please yourself or or a possible um, a customer, uh, that someone that's at the event. If you're a selling team, how do you determine what the judges are going to be to like? What they're going, what what flavor profile should you use at any one event? You know, you just said you kind of stick to kind of one thing and let it ride. Is that is that the case for every event? Or let's say if you were doing an event in uh, in Colorado, would you would you would your flavor profile be different than if you did an event in let's say Eastern Kansas? No, absolutely not. Um, we cook. My theory is is that good barbecue is good barbecue. So. And, and ideally, if the judges are doing their job right, they're not supposed to pick a specific style, right? If I go with a heavy vinegar sauce, but I do that well, even if the judge doesn't like vinegar sauces at all, right? They, they should judge it for what's come in. But what I try and do is typically, I, I, this sounds bad, but it's cook the best middle of the road barbecue that you can cook, right? So by middle of the road, I mean, there's a little bit of sweet, there's a little bit of heat, there's a little bit of smoke. So there's not any one flavor that is just predominant. If somebody walked up to me and said, oh, the cherry in that rub is just great, or I really love the molasses in your sauce, or I, I don't want to hear any of those things when somebody talks to me about the food. What I want to hear is, wow, that pork tasted amazing, right? I want them to talk about the meat. So it's really about balancing all of those things together. So when we go cook and, you know, we've gone, we've cooked all over the country. We've cooked in New York, California, Dallas, you know, up north in Wisconsin and Milwaukee, Kansas City area, you name it, we've cooked contests there. We take the same product to all of those events and have done well um, when we do that. So for example, uh, gosh, it's been a few years ago now, I, yeah, almost almost 10 years ago now, New York started getting enough contests that they actually started their own state cup uh, called the Empire State Cup. And we decided we wanted to try and win that and bring it back to Kansas. Um, so we went out and and after cooking one event and doing well out there, we found out about this cup and said, you know what, we're going to come back and cook several events. We want to have a shot at this thing. And our food, even though it is very different from what you get in the Northeast typically, scored very well. Uh, 
Um, and we did not change our profile at all uh, when we cooked out there. And the same thing when we go to California, we don't really change anything. Uh, Midwest is pretty even. About the only place I might change something is uh, down in Texas. And that is because when you cook events that are not Kansas City Society sanctioned when they're sanctioned by one of the other societies like Gulf Coast or IBCA or, or one of those, there's different rules around cooking. Like you have to have the sauce set onto the meat. You have to turn in half chickens instead of parts. So some of the methods or, or things that we do are slightly different because the society's rules require it to be. But outside of that, um, a good barbecue is good barbecue. So you should be able to do well if you have something that hits all over the place. You shouldn't have to change it a lot. So you said you've you've cooked several contests in New York. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, Colorado's right next door. We're a lot closer. <laughs> <laughs> We're a lot shorter well, we, of a drive. So we, we, we do our cooking as, as a family typically. So it's my wife and I have 12 and 14-year-old daughters. And as I said, we've been doing this for a while now. So my wife and I have done it for years. When we had the girls, we kind of rolled them into it. And, and so we travel all over and try and get them exposure to as many places as we can as we go cook. So yeah, Colorado is great. We loved, uh, I mean, we cooked the Frisco contest for years. There's the Blackhawk contest. There's one up in Craig uh, that I think probably, uh, I didn't see it on the calendar last year. So I think it may be done, but there's all kinds of great events. Uh, Arlie Bragg throws some great events. Uh, out that way. I think he does that uh, one down in the Springs area. Um, and Pueblo, I think it's in Pueblo actually. Um, so all kinds of great contests out that way, but you know, we've done, you know, Milwaukee had one right on ML brewery, um, which was a, a blast. Great event to go check out. Uh, we've done, as I said, all the way up to Lake Placid, New York, right? So in the speed skating oval from the 1980 Olympics, right? You are you are in the speed skating oval at Placid. How cool is that, right? So we just uh, we try and get as many places as we can and uh, do as much as, as we can all over so that we get exposure to lots of cool people and, and lots of great places. And, and that's really the, the driver for us from a competition perspective. Uh, we've done well over the years, and that's great. But for us, it's really about getting out and meeting the people and, and just finding friends everywhere we go and, and making those new relationships and building those new relationships. Um, that's that's really the the key for us and we've got friends all over the country that you know we'll meet up and cook with or, or go do events with and it's just been really enriching you know barbecue's given much more back to me than i've given to it probably in terms of uh friendships and and all of those things it's really neat that you say that neat that you get out and and get around to so many different places because i think there's there's so many people out there that cook in their backyard and haven't been exposed to competition barbecue, and the level of quality that's put out 
in, in a competition. The makeup of the teams, sometimes it's four, five, six. I've seen some teams that are 10 people. And then there's teams like yourself where it's a husband and wife and a few of the children. And then a buddy of mine that uh, just interviewed a, a while back was is Jason Ganahl of GQ Barbecue. You might have met Jason out sure. there. And um, he's been winning just about everything in sight. And when he started out, he was doing it all by himself. Most of the people that subscribe to Story Q magazine and hence will listen to this podcast are backyard barbecuers. And they're cooking on everything from Weber kettles to, to different sizes and uh, of smokers. What are, is there something that, you know, you teach a lot of classes when people, and I want to talk more about that, but when people come to one of your classes, are they keyed up on one particular thing like ribs or brisket? Or are they really looking to to learn about everything they possibly can during that class? So, so we tailor the classes to different things. We we d- definitely do a kind of cover it all in a one hundred and one format type of a class. But then we do classes specific where we'll deep dive on some of the traditional meats, like say a brisket. We'll actually get people's hands dirty and have them trimming briskets and chickens and things and doing doing some of that butchery aspect of it learning all of the all of the the detail as deep as they want to go and then we do themed classes like we'll do pub fair where we take everything kind of up a notch or tailgate foods and we'll put twists on all of it the way that I would like to do it and so it it really we have a little bit of something for everybody from that perspective Um, and we do competition style classes too but Honestly, that is is probably the smallest portion of what we do. The we really cater to the backyard folks that just want to up their game so that they can be the the best one in the neighborhood or have a great party because they really want to entertain. And I mean, if you think back to the origins of barbecue, right? Even all the way back to the origins of our country, some of the first you know political gatherings were around these big hog roasts in Washington's front lawn, right? I mean, you brought people. You brought people together to, uh, you know, share over food and, and and slow cooking and all of those things drive people to stand around and talk and commiserate and have all those good things. And so, you know, people still want that today. That's what we want to do. We want to have our neighbors over. We want to have friends and family over. We want to serve things that uh, find a warm spot in them. And so that's really who the majority of our classes are for. And, and there isn't any one thing I would say probably my best selling class it's sold out probably every time we offer it for the last two or three years is brisket because uh, that's one of the mystery meats right trying to get a brisket right um, and and we've had pretty good success in competition with it so we've had a little bit of notoriety there over the years but the the brisket class always sells out people just want to understand that if you're going to buy that big hunk of meat and fork out what's probably 75 bucks these days because brisket is expensive um you don't want to to not do that right you don't want to end up with a piece of shoe leather so i would say brisket class is probably the one that is most widely attended all the time it fills up immediately uh you mentioned all things barbecue we've been doing classes there for four years now Uh, every other month i do a brisket class and it is usually sold out four to six weeks ahead so Right now, if you went on their website, I bet the August class out of the 38 seats or so we have in it, it's probably half full by now. And I haven't gone to look, but 
that is it will be it'll be full within the next week or two we have a brisket class this weekend actually i'm down here in wichita uh right now and uh our saturday afternoon class this weekend will be brisket and it'll be uh, a packed house why is there this sort of mystery surrounding brisket uh you know i've i've only cooked a few of them because like you say it's it's a it's a huge chunk of meat um, I mean, you can buy the little flats, but that's just not my style. I want the, the 13 to 15 pounder and I want to be able to get, you know, the flat with the point and do the whole thing. And, uh, the few times that I've cooked it, I, maybe I've been fortunate or just dumb luck, but it's come out pretty good. You know, I wait till it gets to a certain temperature. I, you know, I do the wrap then I wait till it gets to 195, 200. And, uh, you know, it, it seems, it seems to go, but there seems to be this, this thing about brisket is such a hard meat to cook right. And I, I think if you if you pay attention to what you're doing and you're not, you know, distracted by something else, like you're going to throw it on and then go shopping for 12 hours or something like that, uh, that you should be able to, you know, cook a decent brisket. Um, it's definitely not something, like you said, it's $60, $75 these days, so you don't want to mess it up. But... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I for one would love to. Yeah, I'd to... say probably that that piece that you just touched on, where people go astray, is that temperature at the finish, right? So, it's not necessarily as much about temperature as it is about feel, because you could have a brisket done at 190 degrees, you could have a brisket done at 210 degrees. Um, and so that's what I think happens a lot of times. Somebody hops on the old interwebs and downloads a YouTube video and says, all right, I'm going to wrap at 155 and I'm going to pull it at 195. And they pull it and it's a little tough, right? It's got that chew and you can, but another hour and maybe five more degrees and it could have been the best brisket ever produced, right? So once you're at that end point, it's really about, the the texture and the tenderness is all that collagen broken down is all that connective tissue loosened up is everything uh freed up so that you have that right bite um and you can feel for that with your probe and you'll be in that temperature range but if you're pulling at a specific temperature it'll bite you at some point right because you'll get one that isn't quite there you'll pull it at that temp rest it slice it and it'll be tough and so really one of the probably the biggest things that we pull out of that class is as we're finishing these briskets they're all probing these briskets with with thermopins and feeling around on them and getting a good idea of here's what it feels like and oh by the way look this one over here is done at 197 and this other one's 211 right so two briskets two different temperatures perfect doneness on both of them they're both about 14 pounds they've both aged about 25 days you know, how do it know? So it's sometimes that that is a great tool in classes to let them really get that feel for what it's supposed to feel like when it's done. This may be impossible to do since we're talking uh, and this is an audio program, but how does someone without going to a class, let's say someone's listened to this and they're, they're psyched up. I want to try this brisket and see where it is. How do you test for that doneness? Let's say you've got a thermopan or you're going to, you put your finger on it. Is, is there something you're looking for? Should it feel, what should it feel like when you put that probe into the brisket? Can, is there a way to describe that? Probably the best description of that would be a hot blade into soft butter. 
So what I mean by that is you'll get some initial resistance right as you start to slide the blade in, right? Because you're putting going from air into that solid product. So you'll get a little bit of resistance, but that hot blade kind of starts to melt the butter along it and it slides in really nice and easy. If you have to force that that probe in, if you have to if you can feel those fibers pushing against it, it's probably not quite there, but if you can get that initial resistance and it slides right in, uh, that's usually a good sign. Great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that this weekend because I'm, I'm dying to make brisket. But, you know, every time I go to the store, like, like the average person out there, um, and I usually, you know, get all my barbecue meats at, at Sam's Club. Uh, there's another place that I go, but it's a, it's a wholesale place, so you've got to buy like 300 pounds of brisket, and I have nowhere to keep that. So when I go to Sam's Club, I'm looking at that, and uh, you know, I'm looking at the price, and I want to make sure number one that I know what I'm doing, that I'm that I'm not going to wreck it, and that I've got enough people coming over to eat it, or I can give it to people, you know, because there's no way that well, personally, I could eat a whole brisket. I could, you know, I could eat barbecue three times a day for four days and finish off a whole brisket. My wife would, of course, have a conniption, but so what. So what? Is, your she your cardiologist eat. might have a conniption. <laughs> now you know if if brisket was really bad for you, we wouldn't have Texas. There you go. <laughs> because I was, uh, um, my wife's son uh, lives in Austin, of all great places to live and have someone uh, to visit, uh, and we were down down there in the middle of um, of April. And the weather was just perfect. It hadn't gotten really hot yet. And, of course, they're out there hiking and biking and cruising all over the place. And uh, fortunately, I'm recovering from a little knee surgery, so I couldn't do all those things. But I made up for it in going to barbecue joints. And nice. the brisket, it, it, I mean, brisket is the thing there. You can get ribs and everything else. But when you find some places that do brisket the way some of the places do in and around Austin, and that's been my only experience, so I, I know they do it other places equally as well. But it's really just otherworldly. It's really terrific. Um, one of the places I, uh, I discovered down there is a place called Friedman's. And, of course, you know, I had to make my pilgrimage to, to Franklin's. I didn't go in because the line was four hours long. Um, we did stand in line for two hours at La Barbecue, and uh, their brisket and beef rib was just absolutely incredible. It was $37 for the beef rib, but it was worth every penny of it and, and worth every mouthful. Wow. Yeah, we, we dropped uh, 80 bucks there and sat outside. And waited in line for two yeah. hours. And you know what? I'd do it again this weekend if I were there. It was that good. So anyhow, enough about me, enough about Texas and brisket. Let's, we're here to talk about your biz. What classes do you have coming up? If somebody wanted to take a class and they're either in, uh, near your location, and uh, are you in Garden City? Is that right? Uh, we're in Kansas City. Kansas City. Where did I see Garden City on some someplace? Oh, we've, like I said, we teach all over, so... 
uh, we will, wherever we're going, if uh, we're going to be there for any length of time, we'll book a class uh, wherever we're at and, and, and try and fit those in. Uh, I do some, some classes in the Kansas City area. We uh, partner up with Patio Dog out in Lee Summit. Uh, obviously, my longest running series of classes is down at All Things Barbecue in Wichita, Kansas. So it's about two and a half hours south of Kansas City. Uh, but but they just have an amazing venue. Over the last few years, they've they've really just kind of continued to grow and, and add on to this space. And tell us about the facility at all things uh, at all things barbecue in Wichita. Yeah, so the the facilities that they've got there are amazing. First, they've got just beautiful storefront with lots and lots of equipment to put your hands on so all the cookers and gas grills and burners and everything that you need you can touch right there in the store uh, great outdoor facilities they've got a beautiful patio with all the equipment on it that we cook on for the classes and they've just built a phenomenal teaching kitchen we've got you know cameras so that uh, everything's projected up on screens we've got sound we've got great lighting uh, nice tall tables so that you can work around them uh, there's really not a facility like what they've built in our area i mean kansas city doesn't have anything like that either uh, so it's always a treat to come down and teach down here and the classes over time have just grown and grown and uh, you know we typically have you know 35 to 40 people in a in a class and usually do a weekend of three classes we'll have a friday night class which is usually some kind of a what i'd call that 101 that you were talking about a little bit ago where we show them a little bit of everything we bake we smoke we direct grill and indirect grill and kind of do all of it and come up with usually it's a we call it master the grill or dinner on the grill depending on the the theme and then saturday uh, we'll do two classes usually we'll do something themed in the morning um, this particular week we're doing a uh, ultimate beef class and then Usually we'll have our big traditional meats in the afternoons on Saturday. So this month it's brisket. Next month it'll be pork. Um, you know, we'll do different things like that uh, depending on the time of year and all of that. And the, during the holidays we might do a prime rib and lamb class or a turkey and ham. Or, you know, we vary, have a Mexican-themed, uh, South american theme, uh, do all different kinds of things. But the venue is just outstanding for the classes. It makes it very interactive and uncomfortable and just a great environment. And they've been a wonderful partner to work with. I'm looking at a picture of the classroom right now, and uh, it, it really is gorgeous. If, you, uh, if you're listening to the podcast and you want to see the teaching kitchen at All Things Barbecue that Andy's been talking about, you can go to classes.atbbq.com. That's classes.atbbq.com. And you can go there as you're listening to this podcast, and uh, you can see exactly what, what Andy's been talking about. And when you see the facility they've got there, I, th I think you'll be uh, quite impressed. It's not just a, a pop-up tent or somebody's backyard. Uh, this is this looks like a professional kitchen and uh, very modern. And like you said, cameras and great lighting and comfortable seating, tall tables so you're not bending over some table that's uh, only thigh high. But uh, boy, that's a beautiful facility. Yeah, we just, you know, we teach in Kansas City and, and do different venues. And it's it's like you said, there's some warehouse space or maybe some nice awnings or easy ups and things that we'll work under. But 
not anything that is as dedicated a facility as this is. And and again, all things barbecue obviously is a outdoor cooking and outdoor living type of a, a store. And putting that kitchen in just was a perfect fit to everything that uh, they do. And it allows you to kind of take what you've learned, walk right into the store and, and apply it as you're uh, grabbing things to head out the door. And just just wonderful uh, set of facilities. But we've had a lot of luck there and, uh, and done very well with it. But like I said, we cook all over. So Garden City, we've done classes there. You mentioned Garden City. Uh, we like to find excuses to travel to the Pacific Northwest. There's a great facility up in uh, Langley. Uh, which is just outside of Vancouver called Well Seasoned. And uh, we'll go try and teach a couple classes up there and uh, usually plan that around a contest. They have uh, a few contests up that way. The Cloverdale Rodeo Contest is the one that we did most recently. Uh, so we'll go cook a contest, spend the week, teach some classes. Uh, it works out great. So we travel all over. We do private classes. Um, you know, I'll have groups of you know, you might get six or seven guys in a cul-de-sac that have, you know, bought cookers and they want to up their game. So we'll go do a private class or we'll do 20 people that uh, it's a, a work function where they're having some type of a team building exercise. Right. And we'll get 20 folks and go right out to their office and drag the, the pits and the easy ups and do all of that. Uh, right at right in an office or a church parking lot or we kind of travel and can teach anywhere so uh, it's it's a lot of fun and and definitely uh one of the highlights of of what we do i have uh, on your website smokeonwheels.com um i noticed uh the beautiful car that you're driving around in and uh that is that an old chevy yeah that's a 58 chevy apache that's one of my other passions is uh, old uh, old iron, if you will. And I've got uh, a good friend of mine, another gentleman I met through barbecue, believe it or not. Uh, he organizes and runs the Big Blue Barbecue in Marysville, Kansas. And uh, he also had a uh, interest in old pickup trucks. And I hadn't had one for quite a while. I've helped build a few over the years, but, but hadn't had one in 20. And my daughters love hopping in his old pickup truck. Uh, and I've been on my, my bride for quite a while saying, you know, I'd really like to have an old truck to work on again. And it's never been kind of the right time. And we happened to be up at Bruce's place and my girls hopped in his 66 and my daughter goes, dad, what's that? And she's pointing at the door of the of the truck, and it wasn't the door handle; it was the window crank. She'd never seen a window crank, right? I mean, we haven't. She hasn't been in a vehicle that had a crank. Everything's got power windows. So I told her, I said, "Why don't you turn that and see what happens?" And at the time, she wasn't twelve; she was probably nine. So she turned and she's like, "Oh, the window goes down." You know, she was like, "Like this? Oh, wow! You know, that would be great if it was raining because you could put somebody's window up for them." I think is what she said, right? And it's like, yeah. So I, I'm looking at my wife and I'm going, "Honey, the girls don't even know what a window crank is. You have to let me get a truck." So she indulged me and said, "Yep, yeah, you can start looking and find something." And uh, Bruce helped me work that thing uh, that that's actually sitting in front of his house. The cooker's attached to it in that picture on the website, and we were actually up there cooking his contest that weekend. So uh, 
I snapped a picture of the the trailer behind it because we had gotten the truck, you know, fully road ready and and been driving it for about a month at the point we took that picture and I had the the smoker hitched to it and had just driven it 200 miles with that smoker on it. So I was uh, thinking that was picture worthy. But yeah, it's it's a fun truck to have and uh, gets you as many comments or more than dragging the barbecue pits around. So I'll bet. Now, what are you hauling behind that? What kind of cookers? I see the sink back there and a couple of storage uh, boxes, but a couple of smokers back there. What are they? Yeah, so those are Yoder smokers. Um, Yoder sponsors my competition efforts. Um, They build, well, actually, they build all kinds of pits, but uh, their pellet pits are what you're seeing there. The the front is a YS-1500, which is kind of an offset style of pellet. The firebox is actually all the way in the bottom of the pit, so you get that nice uh, distance and kind of a true, indirect, almost offset style cooking from a pellet cooker. Uh, the one on the back side is a YS-640, which is kind of their, um, what you would call bread and butter product. It's the larger pellet grill uh it's very versatile so you can smoke on it you can grill on it you can do everything so i have one of each of those on there and that's typically what i will drag to competitions or to my classes those axles pop off it becomes a little standalone teaching kitchen um works great for what we do and and the cookers are phenomenal do you find you think that the pellet cookers give you in particular um a better flavor because we talked earlier about you don't want one flavor to stick out. And um, a couple of years ago, I had the uh, the great fortune to talk to Mike Mills. And I was talking to him and I was very early in, in my barbecue career, so to speak. And Mike said, you know, there are four flavors, the meat, the smoke, the wood and uh, and the sauce. And he said, and neither, none of those should really stick out. Does a pellet cooker for you work better than a stick burner? So we use both and and we use them somewhat interchangeably. The key to that is obviously for that smoke flavor, what drives that is A, the type of wood you're cooking with, B, the amount of air that you're getting to that wood, and then the amount of air that is in the actual smoker. Uh, What pellet cookers do is they help minimize any of the potential issues there, right? So what I mean by that is if I'm cooking with a stick burner, you know, how seasoned is the wood? Where did it come from? You know, was there a lot of iron in the soil? Was there, all of those things can impact what the wood's going to impart. And then obviously, is it dry wood? Is it wet wood? You know, how long is it seasoned so that you've got, how dense is it? And then the wood type obviously plays into the flavor too, right? Soft woods, fruit woods are, are, are lighter and, and uh, not quite as heavy as say a hardwood like an oak, or as you kind of go up the chain, you've got oak, then pecan, hickory. Uh, when you get into stuff like black walnut and hedge and some of those, uh, they burn much hotter, they're oilier, so they'll impart more smoke quicker uh, and it can get bitter quicker because of the uh, density that you're dealing with there. But the the biggest thing in the pit is the amount of air that's moving through it. So on a big offset, if you've got a nice uh, fire burning and it's burning hot and cleanly because you're letting lots of air through it and you've got your stack wide open and you're moving air through your pit, uh, it will get that nice clean uh, 
uh, smoke. If you have a big fire burning and you've damped it down so that you're not getting a lot of air to it because you're worried about temperatures or you've damped your stack so that the air is staying in the pit longer, it can stagnate and get bitter. Um, so those, so really you can, you can get a similar flavor out of a stick burner as you can a pellet pit, but the pellet pits make it easier because you're dealing with sawdust that's been dried, right? It's been through a kiln. It's been compressed. There's no filler or binder or anything in that pellet. Uh, so it's going to put out a consistent flavor every time. From a fire and the burning perspective, you're metering your, your fuel and you have forced draft. So you're going to get the same smoke every time you cook with it. It's pushing air through the pit as opposed to drawing it uh, you know, with natural draw from the, from an offset. So you're getting that air pushed through so that you don't get any stale or stagnant smoke. Typically a pellet cooker will provide a little bit lighter smoke flavor than a stick burner, but you can produce a very similar flavor out of both of them. Uh, it just depends on how you're burning your fire in your stick pits. Would you recommend to a, a total newbie who wants to get into barbecue, would you recommend a pellet cooker to start out with? Yeah, I mean, they, they're great, and it allows you to focus on the meat instead of the fire. Uh, when I get people that ask me all the time about what kind of pitch should I buy? Should I buy a big green egg? Should I buy a Yoder? Should I buy a, you know, take your pick, a backwoods, a, a big vertical offset thing? What should I buy? And it really comes down to what they're trying to get out of it, right? Uh, especially when you start talking about a, a stick burner versus a pellet. The first thing I ask them is, do they want to tend it or do they want to be able to set it and forget it? So if you want to sit around all afternoon and add a stick an hour to your fire and it's therapeutic and it's relaxing and that's how you want to do things, then definitely you want to get a stick pit. If you want to be able to put your brisket on in the morning, go to your daughter's soccer game, come home at lunch, wrap it, check your food, keep on moving through your day, you probably don't want a stick burner. You want something like a pellet pit that is going to maintain the fire for you. And then you're just focused on the meat. Um, I love the pellets. Again, the engineer and me, early on, we've been using pellet cookers for quite a while. We've cooked on lots of things. We've cooked on Kingfishers and Oklahoma Joes and Yoders and all kinds of different styles of pits, big green eggs and Primos and you name it even uh, good ones and things like that. We've had tons and tons of pits we've cooked on over the years. Um, I really love the pellet pits because you get that consistency cook to cook wherever you're at. So for a competition person, you get that, you know, wherever I go. And it's interesting now because with stick burners, if you're taking your wood with you, it has to have a certificate of, and be kiln dried and all of that because as you travel throughout the country, there's areas that are worried about ash borers and things like that. Uh, they're trying to keep those at bay, right? So traveling with wood is almost like traveling with other controlled substances. You can get pulled. If you've got a, a pit that you're dragging behind your truck, there's a good chance you'll get pulled over by a highway patrolman to number one, see if you have wood in the trailer. And then if you do have wood, you better have a certificate that says it's been kiln dried and it does not contain any uh, foreign 
beetles or, or insects, right? So there's all those little interesting nuances that come into play. But for a backyard person, uh, the pellets are great because you can do your entertaining. You can focus on your meat. You don't have to tend to fire. But if tending a fire is part of the enjoyment of it for you, you definitely want to go with an offset. I'll tell you a quick story about my experience. As I said earlier, my first uh, my first smoker was a pellet cooker. It was a, it was a Traeger Texas grill. And yep. um, I got that thing, and it was in summertime, and uh, somehow I figured out how to put it together. And it wasn't all that difficult, and I started cooking on it, and I really liked the product that it was putting out. What I liked best, and just I'll just mention this real quickly, was salmon. Salmon was unbelievable on that Traeger cooker. Um, I now cook on a Weber, uh, the large 22 and a half uh, Weber Smoky Mountain. But one of the things where that Traeger grill or pellet cooker saved my ham was on Christmas Day. We were having 22 people over. And normally uh, at our place, because it's my wife's mom's birthday, we always cook prime rib. So this year, because we're having so many people, or that year, because we're having so many people, we get two 12-pound prime ribs. Well, they're not going to fit in our oven, so I go, I'll put one on the Traeger. So Christmas morning, I get up, and I, I know the timing of the whole thing, and I go out there to start this, and it's, it's been, it, we had snow on the ground, and it was two degrees. And I turned the switch on that Traeger, and all of a sudden, nothing happened. And I'm going, No. No, don't tell me this thing is frozen, please. I mean, you know, I this has to come to life. And I'm sitting there. I'm just about ready to drop to both knees and pray. And I hear this, you know, the 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 uh, the rod, the the, yeah. the ignition rod had gotten into the pellets and started working and started igniting the pellets, and it started to warm up inside the chamber, which allowed the auger to move. And it took about 10 minutes of sheer fright on my part. But pretty soon, next thing I, you know, the, I heard the auger moving, the fan came on, and uh, it saved the day and everything came out right. So for nothing else, if you live in a cold climate and you want to be able to barbecue at two degrees, pellet cooker might just be in your future. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it, it, sa it saved me that day and it may save you if you have to cook in... Uh, Two degrees or sub-zero weather. Andy, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we've gone a little bit longer than what I initially told you we would do, but um, you just had so many good things to say. If somebody wants to take one of your classes, whether they're in the, uh, in the Kansas area or they're willing to travel, um, how, do they, how do they do that? So um, you can hit our website if we have anything uh, that – we're doing as an event for a class it'll be up on our website all things barbecue every month in wichita we have classes there so if you go to uh, the atbbq.com uh, and tap on cooking classes you'll see our uh, classes that are scheduled out we usually have those two or three months in advance out on the website um patiodog.com will be have uh, we'll have some classes there those will also be on smoke on wheels website and then obviously if somebody has a desire to have a, a private event you know, we travel nationwide, so we're happy to uh, go anywhere and teach and spread the uh, barbecue love, if you will. Well, again, thank you very much for your time. I hope our paths get to cross someday, and it would be really neat if you were teaching a class and I happened to be sitting at one of the tables, because I think I could learn a lot from you. Oh, that'd be great.
We got to get one planned for Colorado. Well, you know what? I just might have to work. We might have to talk later and start working on that. Sounds great. Thank you very much. God bless, my friend, and uh, good luck the rest of uh, 2015, whether you're teaching a class or cooking a competition. I appreciate it, Frank. Uh, We'll uh, look forward to the podcast. That's the StoryQ podcast for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. If you're in the barbecue business and you have an online store or a barbecue product or barbecue service that you would like to have us mention, get in touch with Laverne of StoryQ Magazine. He is the publisher and uh, the the heart behind StoryQ Magazine. And if you get in touch with Laverne, he can get you all hooked up with uh, things like that. You can reach him at Laverne at StoryQ.com. Laverne, L-A-V-E-R-N at StoryQ, S-T-O-R-Y-Q-U-E. Dot com, and tell them that you've uh, got a neat website, got a neat story, got some barbecue products that you want to uh, get out to the world, and we are reaching more and more people each week, so we would love to have you as one of the sponsors of the StoryQ podcast. Listen, until next week, have a great time, enjoy the summer, enjoy the 4th of July holiday, and stay blessed, stay safe. Until next week, I'm Frank Erickson on the StoryQ Podcast. Podcast.